0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, "Reveal stories with purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. Uh, Over the last uh, few months uh, around our office, there has been uh, lots of talk about uh, weddings, and part of the reason there's been a lot of talk about weddings is uh Miss Adriana who helps and works in our kids area is getting married this summer and so our staff is super excited. Yay, yeah, we can cheer for her. So we're super excited about that and we've been, you know, asking all the questions about what's going on and obviously even through the whole pandemic just curious about some of that as well, but we've been getting all the details and having all the fun, having all the conversations. And um, a few weeks back, uh, uh, we had a conversation that got brought up the issue of invitations. And so we started talking about invitations. And if if you've never been through the wedding process, let me clue you in that uh, working on your invite list is like one of the most challenging parts Right? You might be thinking like, it doesn't seem like it's that challenging, but just remind yourself that what you're dealing with is money, your in-laws, and determining the social status of every single person you've ever met in your entire life and whether or not they should be invited right? It's we're like having this conversation. I was reflecting back even uh, to my own wedding when I married my wife and, and how much work there was, right? Like you had, you had your budget and then you had your, your idea of how big of a wedding you wanted and then how big of a wedding your spouse wanted, which weren't always the same. So then you got to work through that. And then you've got a list. Your parents have a list. Your in-laws have a list. You're trying to figure out and then you're like working with concentric circles of friends, right? So it's like, well, if I got to invite this person and that means I got to invite these people, and then that means I have to invite Aunt Susie over here, and that means this person has to come, and I'm not sure if I want them to come, and pretty soon you're like this big, and you're like, we can't afford that, then you're this big, and you're like, we need more than, like, it's like this whole process. I remember spending hours, days, months, like working through who on earth are we inviting to our wedding, and you think like, why, why is there so much work put into wedding invitations? Well, I think part of it is, When you have a wedding, you're likely throwing the biggest, if not one of the biggest, parties that you will ever throw in your entire life. And so you're working through who actually should be invited to this party, right? And you care. You care who's there. You care who's celebrating with you. You care who gets to share your special moment. Well, today, as we just heard, Jesus tells the story of a man who's throwing a huge party. And this person, he cares about who is on the invite list. And the question that Jesus wants us to begin thinking about in this story is, who's coming? Who is invited to this party? Jesus actually tells this story while he's in the midst of another party. If you actually look at the first verse of Luke 14, you see the context for why Jesus tells this parable. It says in verse 1, one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And so, um, Jesus is uh, essentially, in Jesus's day and culture, what would have happened is on the Sabbath day, which would have been a Friday evening is when it started, everyone would have gone to synagogue together, and then they would have had dinner afterwards. Very similar today to our kind of context where people often will go to church and then go to lunch afterwards. And so Jesus goes to synagogue and then he gets invited by this ruler of the Pharisees. Now remember, the Pharisees were probably the most influential Jewish sect at the time. And so one of the rulers that kind of oversaw the Pharisees, the sect of the Pharisees, invites Jesus to his house. But this invitation is a little bit, it's not like a cordial invitation, like he kind of has some ulterior motives. They kind of, Jesus has kind of popped up on their radar and they kind of want to bring him over for lunch to like really figure out like, what is this guy really about? And Jesus kind of begins to engage and challenge them. And in the first half of 14, he shares one parable, um, but in then, uh, with, uh, that's kind of related to the guests that are there. But in the second half of, 14, of chapter 14, Jesus now begins to look at his host and he begins to challenge him. Kind of the precursor to the story, even that we just heard, is Jesus actually begins with a challenge. Look at verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 12. It says this, Adjust. So Jesus is sitting at this dinner with this ruler, this kind of, you know, guy of importance, and he looks at him and he begins to challenge him. And the challenge that he begins to ask him is he says, hey, you need to check your invite list. You need to really think about who you're inviting to these parties. Now this seems kind of out of the blue in some ways, but what Jesus is actually doing is he's challenging the culture of these religious leaders. You see, it was very common in Jesus's day for these rulers, these leaders, these people of influence and and likely of means to throw these parties or these dinners together. And what they would do when they had these dinners is they would invite people of other prestige and power kind of as a way to build their own reputation up. This was kind of the common practice of the day. And so they would have looked around and they would have said, who's who's important? Who has some influence? Who has some money? How can I have them over to dinner, right? This isn't unfamiliar to us. People still do this in business today. People still have the practice where it's kind of like, hey, let's get together and share a meal and maybe we can start a relationship because really I have some other reason in mind. And this is kind of what would happen. But Jesus knows this. And so while he's sitting at dinner with these people, he begins to challenge them and say, hey, when it comes to these dinners, who are you inviting and why are you inviting them? He essentially gives them two challenges and then he gives them two reasons. The first kind of instruction he says is don't invite people, right, that are just like you or benefit you. That, that's really why they would have invited people. And Jesus essentially says don't invite them. Don't invite your neighbor. Don't invite your, the wealthy person you know. Don't invite your relative. Why? Because when you do that, you're just doing it for your own benefit. He kind of exposes their heart motive. Like, why do you have the people in your life? Why do you invite them into your life? Do you do it for their benefit, for their blessing? Or do you just kind of throw these parties for your own benefit? And so then he gives him his second instruction. He kind of flips it on his head and he says, when you do this, you should invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the brine. Essentially, Jesus uses this phrase to reference kind of the marginalized and outcast of society. The poor, the crippled, the, the lame, these would have been people that these Pharisees would have looked at and said, they're not blessed by God, they shouldn't be a part, they're unclean, therefore they shouldn't be able to come have dinner with us. They would have kind of kept them on the margins. And so Jesus is saying, no, 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 your job is actually to invite them in. And the, and the verb he actually uses here is the idea of continuing to invite them, not just once, but that these people should be part of your life and part of the dinners that you throw. At the end in 14, he gives the reason. He says, because you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. Because you'll know that you're not doing it for your own motivation. You're doing it to actually bless them, but then ultimately God will reward you. See, I love Jesus here because he's sitting at this table and he's sitting with these powerful people. And in this moment, in only the way Jesus can, he challenges them and he flips the whole power dynamic in their society and community on its head. Because essentially these Pharisees, by their dinners, by the way it went these, about these things, they had created this kind of us and them division within the community. There was the Pharisees, there was their rich relatives and their friends and the people of power, and then there were all the marginalized and outcasts that were kind of left off to the skirts. And they created... To this us and them kind of approach. And Jesus kind of steps in and he says, hey guys, you're actually missing a third party in this equation. I know you think you have your group and this other group, but there's actually a third party that's meant to be here, and that's God. And when God steps into the equation, the power dynamics flip, right? They, They had created kind of this tit for tat I do this for you, you you do this for me, I scratch your back, you scratch my back, and we kind of maintain our power and influence and wealth among ourselves. There was a really system of reciprocity that existed between these religious rulers at the time. But Jesus says, no, 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 you shouldn't do things in a way that gets things back from other people, you should do it in a way where you don't get anything back, because that's actually what God blesses. Jesus points them to a deeper way in which the kingdom works, in which you scratch someone else's back, and then when the time comes, God will scratch your back. God will step in and bless you. God will work. Now, it might not be in the media. It might not be in the way you want. It might be in God's ways and God's terms. But in God's kingdom, we don't just huddle with an us-and-them mentality. We actually seek to reach out and bless everyone. You see, this is the way of the kingdom, that we live in a way in which we bless others knowing that God will bless us in the resurrection when Jesus ultimately returns. But what Jesus is challenging them is when you approach your life and when you as a community approach how you operate your community, who's on the invite list, right? Who, who's on the inside? Who's allowed at the table? Because these Pharisees had created a system where it was only them and no one else was allowed in. And Jesus is saying, no, in God's kingdom— We don't play by the world's power dynamics and rules. We don't create us in them. We don't pull back from the marginalized. We don't pull back from the outcast. We actually welcome and invite them in. Jesus begins by offering us a challenge. You see, and I think it's a challenge that we need to ask ourselves today even as a church, not only our church, but I think even the church in the West needs to check who is actually on our invite list in the way we operate our communities. Because sadly, too often the church, even in our day, much like ancient Israel, has created a system where we invite people that are like us and people that benefit us into our communities. And that is how we operate. In fact, I would actually say in our modern church era, in modern Western American evangelical, this isn't just like something that we've kind of fallen into. This is actually something that we've prioritized, taught, reinforced, and encouraged churches to be. If you look back and you study church growth over the last several decades, one of the things that you will find in how churches have sought to engage and grow and reach people, you will find that one of the leading causes that was uh, kind of influenced churches for a while was a thing called the homogenous unit principle. And the homogenous unit principle was, a, was an idea that was taught to churches to say, hey, if you want to reach people and you want to grow, what you need to do is you need to figure out one demographic of people and you need to set your church up in a way that there's the least amount of barriers for those people to actually engage Jesus. It sounds kind of good on the front end, but the problem is what it essentially did was create churches where we just gather with people that sound like us, that look like us, that tend to be in our same socioeconomic stratus, that tend to be the same race as us. And if you actually look across the landscape of American evangelicalism, what you will find is that churches, by and large, have separated themselves by those divisions. You'll find poor churches and rich churches. You find black churches and white churches and Asian churches. You find churches of, um, of all sorts of different means in which we've separated into these homogenous groups to make it easier for ourselves and less barriers for people. And the sad thing about this, guys, is that it actually works because that's what the world wants. It wants a church that's like the world. And it will go to churches that are like the world. Not for Jesus, because it's easy. Because it's comfortable. Because it creates a you scratch my back, I scratch your back mentality. And churches for generations now have grown in this way. In fact, I saw a church... When I was in my previous city, I saw a church come that was small, that adopted this mentality, that said, we're going to do everything we can to reach 25-year-old white men. And that's what they did. They set up a church that was great for 25-year-old white men. And you know what the problem was? What does that say to all the rest of the non-white men? And essentially what Jesus is saying is he's looking at the Pharisees and he's saying, listen, God's kingdom is not where you set up a community that's just easy, with, where you're surrounded by people that look like you, that act like you, that are within your same socioeconomic sphere. Jesus challenges these people, and I think in a way he challenges the church to say, who is actually on your invite list? Now, you have to imagine this party gets a little tense, right? Like, just even you can feel it a little bit in the room right now. Like, it's a little tense to think about. And that's why I, I love the next guy in the passage. If you look at verse 15, I say he's, he's like my spirit animal, right? Because I'm, I'm not confrontational. And so Jesus is in the middle of this challenge, and then he pipes up, and he's like, when one of those who reclined at the table with them heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I love this guy. He's like, oh, this is tense. Let's redirect the conversation. Like, let's, let's get back on light foot here. Like, hey, blessed is everybody that's going to eat in the kingdom. But Jesus won't have it, right? And you have to see the parable comes out of the challenge. And this is what he says. But he said to him, "'A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, "'Come, for everything is now ready.' But they all alike began to make excuses." Now, you have to understand about Jesus' culture when it came to parties, that uh, as Jesus kind of sets up this story, what would have happened is somebody like this, who Jesus in this story is referencing a wealthy man, a man of means, was going to throw a party. What he would have done is he would have sent out essentially like an initial invitation to those that he would invite, because you would have had to calculate how much food to cook, what animals to kill, what you were going to do in order to host this party. And so similar to like how we would do an RSVP, That's kind of what would take place. They would say, hey, we're going to have this party. You're invited. Are you coming? Yes, yes, we get the numbers. And then they would go and prepare the banquet. And then when it was ready, they would go out and they would ask and say, hey, the food's ready now, right? They didn't have, there was no refrigerators or microwaves. There was no warmer to keep the food warm. Like when it was ready, you came. And so they would have gone into the village. They lived in close quarters. Hey, it's time, time to eat right? And these are people that are already likely agreed to come to the party. And now when the servant comes out and he says, hey, the banquet's actually ready, they all start to make excuses. And then the story, what we see is, is they almost seem to work in unison. It says they all alike began to make excuses. And their excuses are pretty unreasonable, aren't they? It says the first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Well, in Jesus' day, you would have never bought a field if you hadn't inspected it first. Agriculture was so important, you would have wanted to know, can I actually grow something in this field? Is it actually legitimate? I heard one commentator say, this, this would be like the excuse where somebody would say, hey, I just bought a house, but I actually need to go see it and have it inspect it. Like, you would, no, you wouldn't do that. You do the inspection on the front end, and then you pay for the house, Right? So, so it's, it's a little backwards what the first guy says, but, but it actually continues. He, he says, another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them, please have me excuse. Again, same weak excuse. If you were going to buy oxen, they were such important animals, you would have tested them in Jesus' culture. You would have made sure they can pull the plow and do the things that were necessary for you to actually get the work done. And yet this is why he's like, well, sorry, I've got to go check them out. I heard one guy say this week, this this would be like your wife calling and saying, like, hey, are you coming home for dinner? And you saying, like, no, I just bought a car, but I need to go over to the lot to see it and see what make, model, and if it actually drives. Right? Like, that'd be a fun conversation with your wife. And that's what this guy says. The third guy's even more bold. I love this guy. He says, and another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He doesn't even ask for an excuse. He's just like, I got married. I don't know when he got married. But like, I, you know, we'll leave the rest of that to the imagination. But then, so the servant came and he reports these things to his master. Now note how the master responds. I always love Jesus' parable because oftentimes you'll catch in his parable these little threads of grace, these little things about God's character that I love to see. And he says, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry but what does he do in his anger? And he said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled." See, I love the master in this story because the master so easily in this moment, he could have, he could have been like, that's it. Party's off. I'm done. Forget this. These guys are going to gonna spit in my face. They're going to dishonor me by rejecting my, my invitation with weak excuses. I'm done. I'm out. But what we see the master do is he turns his lens from those that reject him and he says, hey, go find others. Go find the people that will step into my party. Go share my invitation with everyone. But not just everyone. He starts with the marginalized and the outcast. See, I think the thing that we need to see in this section is, look how Jesus invites everybody in. Jesus invites everybody in in this story. Everyone gets an invitation. Yeah, it starts with the first group, but they reject it. But he doesn't just shut it down. The master then goes and he invites the second group. And even as the second group responds, there's still more room. And so he goes out and he says, compel, compel those that are on the streets. Compel them to come into my house. Who's on Jesus's invite list? Everyone is on Jesus's invite list. But not just everyone. Jesus prioritizes the other. He prioritizes the people that the world ignores and that the world rejects and he invites them into the kingdom. You see, he's making a point here. On one half, he's challenging these religious leaders and really challenging the nation of Israel as a whole because God had set them up as a community to invite the world into the ways of God, but they had turned inward They had become obsessed with themselves and not with the invitation to share. They set up an us-and-them mentality. And Jesus says no one that lives that way will experience the party that God is throwing. That's why he says at the end, For I tell you, and that you is plural, so he's looking at all of them now, and he says, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet those that would use the grace and invitation of God to propagate their own worth and value over the lives of others, God has no business for those people in his kingdom. But on the other side, what Jesus is trying to tell them is, listen, God is throwing a huge party and the people that are going to be part of my community, the people that are going to follow me, they're going to be the type of people that share that invitation to God's party with everyone, especially the marginalized and the outcast and the ones that the world ignores. You see, if I was to give you kind of the big idea from this passage, I think it would clearly be that God desires for us to share the open invitation into God's celebration. That God desires for us to share this invitation, to not hoard it to ourselves, to not create churches and communities that just look like us and share it with our friends and the people that we like and feel most comfortable with, but we'd be the sort of community that would share God's invitation with everyone, that we would recognize the incredible party that God is throwing and say, you've got to be a part of this. And we go to the ones that society would ignore because they need it just as much as everyone else. See, Jesus wants us to be those sorts of communities. I was reminded of the power of simple invitations and engaging those that are often overlooked several years ago. I was part of a community of people for a while seeking to follow the way of Jesus. And one of the things we would do each week as a community is we would get together and we would have what we called family dinners where we would just seek to eat together, to center on Jesus and to create space to invite other people in to just eat with us and be a community. And pretty soon after uh, we kind of had started and we we're doing dinner together, uh, there was a woman uh, that my, my wife knew who started to come to our uh, family dinners. And she came from a really uh, rough background. She had suffered uh, tremendous abuse, had become um, an addict, had lived on the street for quite a while, but she, um, God had been doing some things in her life. She started to come into our community, and and I remember uh, when we had one of our family dinners, uh, some of the people in our community found out uh, that it was going to be her birthday, and she had never had anyone celebrate her birthday for years at that point or really acknowledge. And so a few people in our community said, we've got, we've got to do something for her. So they got a cake and we kind of got some things and we, we just threw a very simple, very small birthday party with our community one night when we had our family dinner. And I'll never forget because I was sitting in, in our living room in our house and, and, and they brought the cake and we sang happy birthday and we were so excited. And I'll never remember like the look on her face in that moment. Because here was a woman that the world had ignored, the world had turned its back on, that no one really had any interest. And yet here was a community of people that were willing to show her the dignity, the worth, the value that she is as an image bearer of God. And I remember thinking in that moment, I wrote it in my journal, I still have it. I said, man, this, this is the sort of community I think Jesus would want. Right? The sort of community that throws birthday parties for addicts. The sort of community that's willing to go outside people that just look like them. The sort of community that doesn't try to just create church where white people feel comfortable, but who are actually willing to cross racial lines so that we can start to be leaders in bringing harmony within our society instead of way too often, if you look at our past, just reinforcing the division that already exists. See, that's the challenge that Jesus is offering. And I think the question he wants to ask us, not just you individually, but even us as a church, is who needs invited to the party? Who, who's Jesus looking at? Who does he want the invitation extended to? And maybe it's your neighbors, and maybe it's your coworker, but maybe it's a neighborhood you never would go to or never even let your kids go to because they need Jesus just as much as any of us. And the reminder is that we as a people are called to share the invitation into the party. Man, because the party is going to be awesome, right? Like it's a resurrection party. It's a Jesus party where he's going to be at the center for eternity and it's joy and goodness, right? It's going to be a party where there's no more COVID. It's going to be a party where there's no more death. It's going to be a party where there's no more tears. And who doesn't need invited to that party? Let's be the sort of church that invites everyone we can to celebrate with our God forever. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I'm thankful this morning that you, out of your grace and kindness, have invited us to the party. God, when I look at this passage, I'm reminded right now in this moment, God, I was and we were the people on the streets. We weren't on the inside. We were on the outside. And you, out of your kindness and your grace, you pursued us and you loved us. And we are so grateful, God, for that. We are so thankful. God, I pray for anyone here right now, anybody watching online later, I just ask Lord Jesus first that, that you would let them know that you, if they have an invite to the party, that you've come and made a way where they can be restored in relationship with you, where they can be saved from their sins because Christ died and rose again. And all we have to do is trust in Jesus to receive that invitation and enjoy the party you're throwing forever. I pray for those of us that have received that invitation, that we would be invitation sharers, that we would go to the streets, that we would go to the marginalized, that we would go to the outcasts, that we would never tire of seeking and pursuing those that are far from God. Where we've created us and them mentalities, Lord Jesus, would you break that down by the power of the Spirit? Would you let us even be a church that would lead in reconciling people to people and ultimately people to God? Jesus, we can't wait for your party. Until then, keep us and use us for your purposes, I pray. We love you in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.